welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? My name is Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing part two from the chapter. Chapter four. Right. And we're on bonds. bonds. We're going to dive right back in to the chapter we just left off with Brashen. Right. And in last chapter we had Wintro realizing that the time has come. Kenneth is demanding his leg gets chopped off now. And Brashen, we left Brashen realizing that he's not making great decisions and <laughs> he doesn't know how much longer he can go without making horrible, horrible decisions. And I think that's like the only Brashen section we get for like at least another chapter. So I think it's just kind of checking in on him. Yeah. Just to know what's up. Yeah. <laughs> and so this next section here is about Wintro. Kind of jump back over to Wintro here, where he's collecting himself. Yeah, preparing for what's coming. Yeah. Kenneth is also here. They are on board. They're on, on deck towards the foredeck by Vivacia. Yes. Um, I imagine this is also where Efren was when he was dying and that actually sort of no, area? he he was more in the mid deck area. I think like in the middle of everything because there's more room there. Oh, okay, okay. This is where Wintro got his finger cut off. Okay. So, yeah, he's towards the front of the boat. I don't know boat lingo. I don't know which the poop deck. I don't. He's somewhere. <laughs> four deck. He, yeah, he's on the say. four deck. And Wintro is thinking about how hard it was to get Kenneth to this spot that they're trying to ease him onto the board and he and Etta actually fought about getting Kenneth out here because Etta wanted it to be a private affair where it was in the captain's quarters. With walls around it. Yeah. Yes. So that nobody was around. But Wintro fought because he wants Vivacia to be able to help and the closer Kenneth can get to Vivacia, the easier it will be for her to be there to lend him strength. Right. And that is what gets Etta on his side is the idea that Vivacia will be able to help take away the pain and lend strength to Kenneth. Any sort of help that they can get right now because they don't have any medical chest. It wasn't found. Any sort of help they're willing to take. And privately, Wintro and Vivacia don't really know how much they can give. <laughs> right. How much help she'll actually be, but it's kind of more for Wintro's sake that yeah. she's there. We also learned that the missing medical chest is not the only problem going on right now. Brig has also revealed to Wintro that they cannot get to Bull Creek because they're kind of lost right now. Well, not necessarily lost, but he doesn't know the way. Because remember, the and this is something that probably Brig says to bluff Wintro a bit. But he says a man could know where he was and still not know a safe course to somewhere else. Right. But I think it's also kind of true because they're near the Pirate Isles and those Isles change courses right. often because of the river. I mean, I think this is an actual island, so he just pulled off. Can't read charts or read is what Wintro right. says. He was just an ordinary sailor a week ago. So Right. So there is a little bit of stress that they have to wait for the Marietta to find them to even be able to go towards Bull Creek again. Or wait for Kenneth to be good enough to do it. Yeah. And that's not going to happen. Right. So, so it really is now or never. And it's whatever Ken whatever Wintro could find for tools for Kenneth. Yeah. So Wintro has to bear that. And there's no sense in telling anybody else on deck, the former slaves, least of all, because that would just present even greater opportunity for Sa'adar to try to take control. And he's already kind of around the edge of the crowd and right. Wintro's trying to ignore him. He had not offered to be helpful and Wintro had not asked him. Most often, wandering priests were judges and negotiators rather than healers or scholars. While Wintro had always respected the learning and even the wisdom of that order, he had never been completely comfortable with the right of any man to judge another. It did not help right now to feel that scrutiny was being applied to him. Whenever he sensed Sa'adar gaze at him, he felt a chill knowledge that the man found him unworthy. 
The old priest stood, arms crossed on his chest. Two map faces flanked him. He spoke to them quietly. Wintrow pushed aside his awareness of them. If Sa'adar would not help, Wintrow would not be distracted by him. He rose and walked to the bow of the ship. Vivacia looked back at him anxiously. So we get a little bit more about Sa'adar there, and that's where the judge thing kind of comes in, and that's his motivation for pursuing Kyle so eagerly. Right. And also that Sa'adar also isn't trained in this. So it's not necessarily right. that Sa'adar would have been a healer that could help a ton in this situation. He most likely was not. Yes. So at least there's that, I guess. But we also know that Sa'adar is keeping the medical cabinet as rereaders from Wintro. So... <laughs> not personally, no. <laughs> he didn't know about it. Yeah. But either way, Wintro is finding solace with Vivacia, and Vivacia is letting him know that she doesn't think that she will be able to help Kenneth very much because there is no blood bond. And yeah. I put emphasis on that because later Wintro is mad that Vivacia and Kenneth create a, a bond through the blood. But here she is warning him yeah. that's what's going to happen, essentially. But keep in mind, we have no blood bond with him. He is not kin to us, nor has he been aboard long enough for me to be familiar with him. She lowered her eyes. I will not be much help to you. Wintrow leaned far down to touch his palm to hers. Lend your strength to me, then, and that will do much, he consoled her. Their hands met, confirming and increasing the strange bond between them. He did draw strength from her. As he acknowledged that, he saw an answering smile dawn on her face. It was not an expression of happiness, not even a sign that all was right now between them, but a sign of shared determination. Whatever else might threaten them, whatever doubts they harbored about one another, they still went into this together. Wintrow lifted his face to the sea wind and offered up a prayer that saw might guide them. He turned back to his task. As he drew a deep breath, he could feel Vivacia with him. And so that touch again, as we talked, I think last episode about touch being important, like Wintrow with Kenneth, Vivacia and Wintrow reestablish a closer bond with that touch. Right. And it's needed for this. It definitely is. And in this, she is with him in a way that she hasn't been yet. This is a deeper forming of the bond. I don't know if it's just because the closer you get in the bond and the more you accept that, the more you feel it. And maybe it's the shared determination, like the one goal that they have in right. mind. Yeah, definitely is something to look into as we yeah. go further on. Because Wintrow and Vivacia really haven't had similar aligned goals except for during the storm and this. Right. And the storm was the first time we heard of their deepened bond and connection. Yeah. And this is even deeper than that. So I don't know. But as Wintrow is going back towards Kenneth, he is watching Etta force more liquor down Kenneth's throat more than he wants to drink because they need him to be numbed in some way. And it's noted that Kenneth can handle liquor well. So it's a little bit more challenging than expected. <laughs> yeah, he's sodden, but not senseless. Etta had also chose, chosen who was going to hold Kenneth down while this was happening. And to Wintrow's surprise, three of those she had chosen were former slaves. One was even an older map face. They looked uneasy, but determined as they stood amongst the gawking onlookers. That would be the first thing Wintrow would deal with, so he tries to clear them out. But why do you think Etta chose three from the former slaves? I think there's other people there too, but... Yes, I think that this decision was because the slaves are less likely to let go if the captain tells them to. Ooh, that's true. So I think she knows that she needs the his loyal men there too. Because obviously they need to be a part of this. I think that's important to them. They would feel slighted if they weren't. But she needs people who can 
hold him down that will not let go even if he tells them to. That's fair. And that is something that Wintrow said before is that they needed people who would not shy away from keeping him down even when he's ordering them (laughs) to let go. What did you think? I don't know. I was just kind of posing the question out to you. Hmm, Okay. My like harebrained idea was something like, oh, she was picking out people who were, I don't know, picking them based on personality or their thoughts on sides with Sa'adar and Mm. Kenneth, things like that. But that makes way more sense because it actually has book reasons. (laughs) I don't know. Either way, they have been picked and Wintro decides to tell the rest of the crowd, you know, Go back under the deck. If you were not ordered to be here, you do not need to be taking up space. I need room to work. And then he turns around because he doesn't want the embarrassment of watching these people not listen to him. Right. Yeah. He was sure that if they did intervene with him, Etta would intervene with them. He knelt down beside Kenneth. It would be awkward to work with him lying flat on the deck, but Wintrow felt that whatever strength Vivacia could lend him would be worth it. And he looks at his arranged tools, a motley assortment, freshly sharpened knives from the cook supplies, two saws from the carpenter's box, sail-making needles, large and coarse, and some sewing needles that belonged to Etta. Etta had provided him with neatly torn bandaging, both linen and silk. It was ridiculous that he had not been able to sail, salvage better equipment. Almost every sailor aboard had had his own needles and tools. All the belongings of the slaughtered crewmen had disappeared. He was sure the slaves had claimed them when they took over the ship, that none of them had been surrendered to this need, spoke deeply of how much the former slaves resented Kenneth's claiming of the ship. Wintrow could understand their feelings, but it did not help his predicament. He looked down on the crude tools and knew he was doomed to fail with them. And so he lifted his eyes to Etta and says, I must have better tools than these. I dare not begin without them. I want to pause just for a second and back up. I think with Wintrow's assessment that the fact that the slaves, the freed slaves are not giving all of the tools they have available because it's not just even the mat medicine cabinet. It's all of the old crew's belongings that could be helpful. He's ascribing that to being a defiance thing of showing how unhappy they are with Kenneth. I'm wondering if that is not the case. Um, my thoughts are that potentially they are not helping in this or giving away this because these are now their only belongings and it was something that they feel they have won from their perpetrators and they don't really want to give that away even if it is for a good quote-unquote reason i mean that could be true but that also wraps into potentially their disgruntlement that Kenneth isn't giving what they think is theirs now You know, so like, oh, I'll hold on to these possessions because they're mine Mm. because he won't give his, he won't give our other possessions up to us. But I I mean, I mostly think it's Sa'adar saying like, don't give it to him. Yeah, he doesn't deserve our help. So yeah, I think Sa'adar is really kind of stirring things up. Definitely stirring the pot. So... Wintrow says that to Etta, like, I wish we had better tools. And she is really sad and wishes that, oh, Marietta has tools. Wish we could have got them from there. And Wintrow replies to that and looks at her as she has an unguarded moment of, like, tenderness with Kenneth. Like, I want the best for him, basically. And Wintrow is replying solemnly as well. I wish we had Vivacia's medicine chest and explains the plight that it was missing. I don't know who has it. No one seems to know what became of it. And Etta's gaze darkened and her face hardened into a scowl. No one, she asked coldly. Someone always knows something, 
You just have to ask the right way. And of course we know how Etta asks things. So she has her knife out and walks right up to Sa'adar and slashes him across the chest. Yes, not a deep cut. It's, it is enough to cause blood. Yep. But it is not, it's not like a gouge. It is a warning. Oh, yeah. His two burly guards looked down at Etta's knife, held low and ready. Brig and another pirate had already closed ranks with her. For an instant, no one spoke or moved. Wintrow could almost hear Sa'adar assessing his choices. The wound was a shallow scoring of his skin, very painful but not life-threatening. She could have gutted him where he stood. So, what did she want? He chose wronged righteousness. Why? he demanded theatrically. He opened up his arms and half-turned to the whole ship he was addressing. Why do you choose to attack me? What have I done except come forward to offer my aid? Like, in what way? Name one way you've offered your aid, but okay. And so she is sitting there demanding, I want the ship's medicine chest, and I want it now. I don't have it, Sa'adar exclaimed angrily. The woman moved faster than a clawing cat. Her knife licked out, and a second line of blood bisected the first. Sa'adar set his teeth and did not cry out or step back, but Wintrow saw the effort it cost him. Find it. Etta suggested. You bragged that you organized the uprising that overthrew the captain. You go among the slaves, exhorting them that you are the true leader they should follow. If that is true, you should know which of your men plundered the mate's cabin. They took the chest. I want it. Now. For a breath longer, that all held. There was some sort of pause, and then Sadar begins talking again. But to Wintrow, his words seemed oddly staged. You could have simply asked me, you know. I am a humble man, a priest of Sa. I seek nothing for myself, only the greater good of humanity. This chest you seek, what did it look like? His querying eyes fell on Wintrow, and his mouth stretched into a manufactured smile. So Wintrow describes it. And... Importantly, Wintrow says it has the image of Vivacia on it. It was locked. But if anybody opened it, they would immediately know what it was. Right. And I think this is important because everybody knows that Wintrow has been asking about it. Yeah. The pirates asked about it twice today. And here, Sa'adar is trying to play this game of, well, why didn't you just ask for it? I would have loved to help. But also not a super smart call because by Wintrow saying there's no mistaking what was in this, everybody knows it's not that easy to get away with. And so Sa'adar turns to everyone gathered and says, Did you hear, my people? Do any of you know of such a chest? If so, please bring it forth now, not for my sake, of course, but for that of our benefactor, Captain Kennet. Let us show him we know how to be kind to those who are kind to us. It was so transparent. Wintrow thought Etta would cut him down where he stood. Instead, an oddly patient look came over her face. By his knee on the deck, Kenneth spoke very softly. She knows she can wait. She likes to take her time killing and do it in privacy. Wintrow's eyes snapped to the pirate, but he seemed to be nearly unconscious. His lashes lay long on his cheeks, his face was slack. A loose smile twitched over his mouth. Wintrow set two fingers lightly to Kenneth's throat. His pulse still beat steady and strong there, but the man's skin was fevered. Do you think that was the charm or him in his drunken haze? Okay, so I think it's the charm. And I think the reason the charm likes Etta is because she is so much like a queen dragon. Yeah, I think so too. I think something about her fierceness and willingness to kill for who she loves and just kill in general <laughs> is a pretty hot to this little charm. So. <laughs> and so a woman's voice rings out, so is this it? And brings forth a chest with a smashed in top so you can see the stuff. So that goes back to if you opened it, you know what's in there and there's no mistaking it. Yes. 
Well, the lid had been splintered, so maybe not smashed in, but they definitely opened it. Right. And you can tell that there, you can see what's in it from the splintering. And so he doesn't say anything, but lets the woman bring it to Etta because he doesn't want any more bad blood between him and Sadar. There's been enough already. She lowers her gaze, her eyes to gaze down at the open chest when it was placed before her feet. She did not even stoop to stir the disheveled contents. When she lifted her eyes back to Sa'adar's face, she gave a very small snort of contempt. I do not enjoy games, she said very softly, but if I am forced to play them, I always make sure I win. Her stare met his, and neither looked aside. Now, take your rabble off this deck, get below decks, and close the hatches. I neither wish to see you, nor hear you, nor even smell you while this is going on. If you are very wise, you will never draw my attention to you again. Do you understand? And so I think Etta there, looking down at the splintered chest, also realizes that, yeah, you're being overdramatic. This is rehearsed. Stop it. You're fake. Right. Good try, but yeah. I'm not falling for it. There's Goodbye. a reason I went to you and slashed you in the chest right away. Yeah. Clearly <laughs> I made the right choice. Wintrow watched as Sadar made a very serious mistake. He drew himself up to his full height, not quite the match of Etta's. Short king. <laughs> Etta is also very tall. His voice was coolly amused. Am I to understand that you and not Brig are in command here? It would have been a deft play if there had been any rivalry between the two to exploit. Brig only threw his head back in a guffaw of laughter as Etta's knife danced in to add yet another stripe to Sadar's chest. This time he cried out and staggered back a bit, back a step. She had made the knife bite deeper, and as the wandering priest clutched at his blood-slicked chest, she smiled darkly. I think we understand that I am in command of you. One of the map faces started forward, his face dark with fury. Etta's knife moved in and out of him, and he went down clutching at his belly. Vivacia gave a muffled cry at this new spillage of blood on her deck, an echo of the cries and gasps of the watching freed folk. Wintrow shared the deep shudder of horror that passed through the ship at this fresh violence, but he could not take his eyes away. Sadar shrinks back. Everyone kind of shrinks back and cowering away from the woman with the knife. And no one springs forward to save the priest. Yeah. Instead, there was subtle movement away from him as folk distanced themselves. I do want to say that I think it's important to note that even that little bit of blood was enough to yeah. hurt Vivacia. I don't know if it hurts, but it obviously is not a good feeling. Right. I mean, so, violence is such a strong emotion or, yeah. you know, would probably carry... Those violent memories yeah. forever. And yeah, that's not a good thing to remember. No, not at all. But this time when Etta tells them to get out of her sight and under deck, everyone listens. Yeah, exactly. She says, I will not tolerate anybody who will threaten the well-being and comfort of Captain Kennet. So if you want to avoid my wrath, do nothing to inconvenience him. It's very simple. Yep. <laughs> and now, they all scramble yeah, to obey now her. Now clear the decks. Mm-hmm. And Wintrow notes that the three that she selected probably have completely switched allegiance and would follow her anywhere now. Right. They're kind of watching her with an odd mixture of respect and horror. Etta comes back towards Wintrow, eyes meeting. The demonstration with Sa'adar had been for his benefit as well. If Kenneth died under his hands, Etta's vengeance would be furious, if not swift. He drew a deep breath as she approached him, the medicine chest in her hands. He took it and then takes takes inventory right. of what is in that chest. He notes that some of it has definitely been pilfered, but most of it is still intact. And he also thankfully finds some quasi-fruit rinds, which... We were told last time we talked with him, he wanted because it would numb the skin and numb the, the flesh after it's cut. Yes, it, yes, you can't use it beforehand, but after it will numb everything. So 
that was good to see, but it also makes Wintrow really upset because there was some in the medicine cabinet and his father didn't deign to let him have some whenever he had his finger chopped off and could have used it. And then he tries to reconcile himself by saying, if I would have used it then, there wouldn't be any now and it's more important now. So I guess this is just Saw's work and fate and it had to be Kyle this Kyle is important to the future, you know, and the fool's uh, plan. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets better tools here to use, uh, inclu- including finer knives and all that sort of stuff. So he kind of organizes his tools, pushing aside his old stuff, glances up at Etta and says, I would like to offer prayers. A few moments of meditation might better prepare all of us for this. Just get on with it, she ordered him harshly. Hold him down, Winter replied. His own voice came out as harshly. He wondered if he were as pale as she was. A spark of anger burned inside him at her disdain. He tried to rekindle it as determination. So then people are starting to hold him down. Right. So everybody gets into position and Kenneth sort of wakes up from this in and out of consciousness going on and asks, is it now? Is it now? And Kenneth says, or, and Wintrow says, yes, it's now. We're going to do this. And then Wintrow explains to the captain, the current cap, acting captain Brig that he needs to hold Kenneth's head down and hold him on either side of his temple and just try not to let him thrash around too much and hurt himself. You want to keep him steady. And as he's explaining this, Kenneth willfully puts his head down and closes his eyes in the position he's supposed to be in. So he uncovers the leg and says, begin now while he still had the courage because the leg to him looks worse than it had, you know, a few hours ago when he last checked. And he refuses to think of Kenneth's pain. He must focus on being swift and cutting him cleanly. His pain was irrelevant. Yep. So this is important because... That changes quickly. That does change quickly, <laughs> but it also is an, it is a good thing to remember. When you're doing something like this, you can't be so hesitant of another person's pain that you don't do the thing quick. Right. Because that's worse. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. He does acknowledge that he needs to just do this and get it over with. And it is going to hurt Kenneth, but he can't focus on that part. And so he is trying to clear his mind. Thinking back to when he had seen this done the last time. The only prayer uttered here instead of back when he remembered it with candlelit room and multiple prayers and meditations. Mm-hmm. Wintrow, his only prayer is, Saw, grant your mercy, lend me your strength. Mercy on an indrawn breath, strength as he breathed out. It calmed his thundering heart. His mind was suddenly clearer, his vision keener. It took him a moment to realize Vivacia was with him more intimately than ever before. Dimly, he could sense Kenneth through her. I do want to ask quick, this is like a random aside. Do we think the sentence, his vision was keener, means that Wintrow has eyesight problems? They just don't have glasses? I don't know, maybe. Because Vivacia goes in and all of a sudden he can see a little bit better. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if he's just a little bit blind. But also you can you can have really good vision, 2020 vision. Somebody else could have 2010, you know? Oh, yeah. And see the same clarity, but, you know, double the distance that you do. Fair. Fair. Good so point. I feel like it's just a magical being. Has <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like, I was just thinking, if you have a low enough prescription. I'm sure at one point in time, right. you wouldn't have even known that you needed glasses. You would just think that's just what it looks like. Cause it doesn't impede your day to day. So yeah. I was like, Oh, I wonder if this is Canon that winter is a little <laughs> bit blind. <laughs> he would have glasses at like five. Yeah. Studying in a monastery somewhere, <laughs> you know, either way, 
Vivacia is with him and it's helping. He's calmed down. He feels more centered and he is ready to do this. And he can feel Kenneth through her a little bit and tries to explore that faint bond. It seemed as if she spoke to Kenneth at a great distance, counseling him to courage and strength, promising that she would be there to help. Wintrow felt a moment of jealousy. He lost his concentration. But Vivacia reminds him of mercy, strength, mercy, strength. And he repeats that mantra back to her and threads the leather through it, cinches up to get ready to slow the blood flow and creates the first pain for Kennet. He roars out his agony. And with them linked together, Wintrow is frozen as he kneels there. Ada is shrieking, cut him, damn you, get it over with, do it, because he is crying out, and there's a moment of terrible silence when he runs out of breath. But Wintrow is frozen. His agony inundates Wintrow like an icy wave, shocking and immersing him in its intensity. The force of the other man's experience flooded through his tenuous link with the ship and into Wintrow. He lost his identity in it. He could only stare dumbly at the whore, wondering why she was doing this to him. Kenneth drew in a ragged breath and expelled it as a scream. Wintrow shattered like a cold glass filled with hot water. He was no one. He was nothing. And then he was Vivacia and abruptly Wintrow again. He fell forward, his palms flattening on the deck, soaking up his identity from the wood. A vestret. He was a vestret. Moreover, he was Wintrow Vestret, the boy who should have been a priest. And with a shudder, Kenneth suddenly lay senseless. In the stillness that followed, Wintrow grasped at his sense of himself, wrapped himself in it. Somewhere the prayer continued, mercy, strength, mercy, strength. It was Vivacia setting the rhythm of his breath for him. He took control of himself. And so we have a, another scene there of him getting lost basically in the Skill River, of losing, someone losing their identity in connections, in magic, and needing a connection, Vivacia, a touchstone to center themselves. Right. And he leans on the memories that were soaked into Vivacia throughout the lives. And learns that, yep, I'm a vestrit. This is who I am. I'm this vestrit, this bonded partner. Yeah, I find that very interesting because there's no mention of a Russia euphoria. There's no mention of it feeling nice to just let go and unravel from right. the self, which we've gotten that is before. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, it's always good to. Be in touch with everything of Saw, you know, that, that yes. sort of stuff. But in this moment where he's lost, instead of the times we've seen it with Fitz, there is no sense of relief or release or, oh, this feels so good all of a sudden. It's just a, all of a sudden I was gone and now I'm back. And maybe it's because he didn't even have time to process. And it was a lot of pain that shot him out of it. True. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no talk of it, really. But definitely that idea of taking a little kernel of yourself and wrapping more of yourself around that to center yourself is very reminiscent of Fitz whenever he is pulled apart in the Skill River or whatever Fitz does to people he is taking out of the Skill River. Yeah. And he comes back to himself and looks at the scene Edda is weeping and cursing at the same time, sprawling on Kenneth's chest, kind of restraining him, but kind of embracing him. And Wintrow ignores her. Hold him, he said tightly. He chose a knife at random. He suddenly understood what he had to do. Speed. Speed was the essence. Pain such as this could kill a man. If he was lucky, he could finish cutting before Kenneth recovered consciousness. And so this is contrary to what he started with. Right before he started putting right. any sort of pain on Kenneth. He's like, I have to ignore the pain. And yes, I have to do it fast, but I have to do it cleanly. And now he experiences it and knows that he has to do it 
fast, fast, because this operation could definitely just kill Kennet on shock alone. Right. And while he is currently unconscious, you might as well start and hope he stays unconscious the whole time. Right. And so he begins and he, with the knife he's picked at random, he goes at the leg until he hits the bone and then yells out for a saw and somebody, he's not sure who because he's not looking around, gives it to him and he starts sawing at the bone, which is an awful sound. And that wakes Kennet and starts his agony all over again. And he just has to keep going until he realizes that he's gotten through the bone and is now like sawing at good flesh. So he has to switch out, go back to a knife. Yeah. Create a flap of skin so he can pull it over the wound. And he's all of a sudden done cutting. Of course, this is Robin Hobbs. So there's like tons of gory detail of (laughs) description of this. Yeah. But I don't think we necessarily need to get into the nitty gritty (laughs) here. Wintrow braced himself, expecting to be overwhelmed with the pirate's pain, but Vivacia held it back. He had no time to wonder what it cost her to take that to herself. He did not even have time to be grateful. This was during the sawing part. I wanted to kind of point that out before we skipped over everything, yes. because there are some important details of what Wintrow can understand, like all of the pain that Vivacia is holding back, because he didn't get swept away in it again when right. Kenneth woke back up. And so he continues again as fast as he can. He hears somebody throwing up and he's just so focused. He says, don't let him choke, assuming it was Kenneth, glances up and realizes it was somebody else and then gets mad and says, hold him down because Kenneth is writhing under the pain, even though there's like five people on top of him. Right. Which also means that Kenneth must be way stronger than he looks. (laughs) And so he gets the leg, the old leg, out of the way, has a flap of skin, and is trying to remember. He knew with a vast certainty in his head, seeing all of this blood on the ground, that he killed the man. And Vivacia has to speak into him, saying, do not think that. And almost pleading, do not force him to believe that, for right now, linked as we all are, he must believe what we think. He has no choice. And so, with the first task out of the way, he finds the little bottle that holds the quasi-fruit yes. and starts dropping some of those drops on there, instantly feels those parts of the leg go numb because he's connected to it. Right, and he doesn't realize, he didn't realize how much of his pain had seeped through Vivacia's keeping it from him. Yeah. So Vivacia had been blocking it and he knew that, but there was still pain seeping through because it hurt so bad. And with the quasi fruit on there and the immediate effect, he can immediately tell because suddenly that overwhelming sense of urgency and pain is gone. Less than half remains after he's done spreading it onto the wound. And he just kind of has to hope that's enough for later. But the cessation of pain was so sudden that it was like being stranded by a retreating wave. He had not realized how much of it was battering past Vivacia's shield until it stopped. He sensed, too, Vivacia's sudden relief. So this stuff works really well. (laughs) Yeah, and fast. I want some for whenever I'm hurt. Um, I guess I've never been hurt that bad, but... (laughs) Um, there is this sense of now that that adrenaline has worn off, he's starting to get tired and he's not fighting against the pain. Yeah. And so there's more time for that doubt to creep in and for just his nature of wanting to run away from the scary event. And he talks about how he knows there's more to do at this point. Obviously, he has not sewn up the wound yet, and he knows from the last time he saw something similar be done that the last priest had taken tendons and the veins uh, and put them yeah, back in bleeding in some arteries. Way. Yeah, had like, tied them up against each other so they stopped bleeding. Yes, and put them back into the cut but he doesn't know how to do that and he doesn't know which ones and there's so many he does say he tried yes and he was suddenly confused and he couldn't remember how many 
the healing priest had done that he had seen. Right. So he tries his best. And all he wants to do is get away from the scory mess. He is tired. He's done. He suddenly is exhausted and doesn't want to do this anymore, but he still has to finish what he started. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting how quickly it has turned into that, where before we had Wintrow was willing to do this, he was ready. He felt like he was prepared. He knew what he was doing. And then it gets to the end. And I wonder if it's just the exhaustion hitting of, I don't want to do this. And like, this is hard and scary. And also the first time he's ever done this and his life is on the line and it's not looking good. All the blood that's around clearly isn't a good sign. It's not healthy. Yeah. And you know, fast as he was, the flap of skin isn't perfect. And he's kind of stretching and fitting it on as best as he can. He's sewing up what he can using hair from Kenneth's head that Edda is threading onto the needle heads. Right. And he's just trying to stop the bleeding then. Bandage it. Bandage it, bandage it, wrap it, wrap it, wrap it, wrap it. And while he's bandaging it, it's filling, the bandages are getting soaked with blood, but he eventually gets it to a point where you can just see the clean bandage and then he takes off the cinch cinch, that is holding back the blood flow and immediately the whole bandage is soaked with blood and he feels like something went wrong. He has killed Kenneth. Wintra wanted to scream in horror and frustration. How could there be that much blood in a man? How could so much of it gush out of him and yet leave him still clinging to life's thread? His own heart was thundering with fear as he wrapped it once again. Supporting the stump in his hands, he said dully, I'm finished. We can move him now. Etta lifted her head from Kenneth's chest. Her face was white. Her eyes fell on that discarded leg. Heartbreak contorted her mouth for an instant. With a visible effort, she smoothed her features. Her eyes were still bright with brimming tears as she huskily ordered the men, fetch his litter. Do you think that that's heartbreak over him losing his leg and not being the man he was and her knowing that's how that's going to affect Kenneth? Or heartbreak that she doesn't know if he's going to live? Because I don't, I don't know if she understands what Wintrow is going through and what he feels. So I, and with the glance to the leg, I almost feel like it's towards that, but it makes more sense for it to be like, he might die. I I don't know. I feel like Etta has enough medical knowledge to recognize the amount of blood is not a good sign. True. And so I feel like, Maybe it is, isn't either of those things. It could potentially be just seeing how bad the leg is yeah, and realizing, oh, this was really bad. We let it go for too long. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, because Wintrow describes the leg that has been cut off as being like rotten flesh. That's disgusting. And it is kind of a big chunk, it seems, because... It's like half of his thigh yeah, to, to pass the knee. Yeah. Yeah. They had to cut into his upper thigh. Yeah. And that was in good flesh. Yeah. So it's like right above the knee, I think. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think it's the loss of the leg or the effect that will have on Kenneth. I think it's more to do with how bad things got how bad they let it get before it got to this point and the potential death that Kenneth will face. And so they maneuver Kenneth down towards his cabin. Of course, Ed is growling at anyone who lets the letter touch a wall or a railing or anything like that. It's obviously very awkward to bring him down the steps. And as he's being jostled, Kenneth from his sleep is babbling wildly saying, please, please, I'll be good. I promise I'll listen and obey. I will. Etta scowled so blackly that every man lowered his eyes before her. Wintrow was sure the captain would never be questioned about his words. Once on his bed, Kenneth closed his eyes and was as still as before. The other men left the cabin as swiftly as they could. 
that's obviously a nightmare about his childhood. Right. On Paragon with Igrit. Yeah. Which is very sad. And I do feel bad for him. Like, Kenneth's an awful person and continuously makes bad choices. But this is sad. And it is sad to see him suffer in this way. And he is taken to the captain's quarters where Edda then asks Wintro, what's next? What now? And Wintro has to say, now we wait. We have to see if he survives. Well, we wait and we pray. You can't leave that out of Wintro. Yes, (laughs) true. How dare I? (laughs) Or I guess it could be assumed. (laughs) But she makes a small contemptuous sound and pointed at the door and Wintro leaves. So obviously Edda is just distraught. I mean, who wouldn't be at this situation? Right. And I'm sure it's hitting her, especially that they've now let a 14 year old boy do this. Like he is visibly not a man. Right. So he looks younger than he is and he's still young. So it's crazy to think about the fact that he's the one who did this and they put his life in Wintrow's hands And now they just have to hope for the best and see what happens. And that would be really hard to do. Then we catch up with Vivacia a little bit. Kind of jump to her point of view. Yeah, we see that she starts off her section saying that the spot where the blood is, is heavy. The blood's soaking into her deck made a heavy place. What do you think that means? I mean, it's a lot of memory. Mm. She says that later too, that blood is memory, right? It's a lot of life. It's a lot of, it's something to like linger over would be my guess. Right. Interesting. Either way, she talks about, how that has happened and now she is more connected to Kenneth. She can feel even the draining of the blood on his wound and can feel him in that way. And knows that the medicine drowned the pain, but that it was distant and coming ever closer with every beat of his heart because it eventually was going to wear off. Right. She notes that Winter was moving on the foredeck trying to clean up all of the tools and meticulously putting them away. He scrubbed his arms and hands, but his robe is still soaked and stiff with blood from the operation. Right. It it really seems like Wintrow is going through it. He is <laughs> just methodical and cleaning and trying to put things to right. And it gives the feeling of Wintrow trying to not think about what has just happened and get to a place where he can reflect. And he's also in a very bad mood because he thinks that Kenneth is a dead man, which means that he's dead too. Right. So he's like picking up the quasi fruit essence, considering what's left and saying, not much, he mutters to Vivacia. Well, it matters little. I doubt that Kenneth will live long enough to require more. Just look at all this blood. And he picks up the leg, saying, this feels wrong, and throws it over the side of the ship. He staggered back with a low cry as the white serpent's head shot out of the water to snatch the leg out of the air before it could even splash into the sea. As swiftly as it appeared, it was gone and the leg with it. Wintrow darts back to the rail, looking down, saying, how did it know? It was waiting. It seized the leg before it touched the water. How could it have known? Before she could answer, he went on. I thought that serpent was gone, driven away. What does it want? Why does it follow us? It hears us, we too. Vivacious voice was low, pitched for him alone. She felt ashamed. People had started to come out of the hatches back up onto the deck, but no one ventured near the foredeck. The serpent had come and gone so swiftly and noiselessly that no one else seemed to have seen it. I do not know how, and I do not think it understands in full what we think, but it understands enough. As to what it wants, why exactly what you just gave it, it wants to be fed no more than that. 
Maybe I should fling myself to it, save out of the trouble of doing it later. He spoke mockingly, but she heard the despair under his words. You voice its thought, not your own. It reaches for you, clamoring for food. It believes we owe it food. It does not scruple to suggest your own flesh might satisfy it. Do not listen. Do we think this means that the serpent can control moods without looking in the eyes of a person? Which then means that the cocoon is brainwashing the Rainwild people. I mean, maybe. I think it definitely has a presence. I think eye contact is definitely better for it and works probably a lot easier. But it might be just with vivacious connection to the serpents that Wintrow is more susceptible Hmm. to hearing those thoughts. Fair enough. I was also wondering if maybe it was just Wintrow actually being kind of despairing. Because, yeah, yeah, I mean, he thinks he's going to die anyway and is really freaking out about that. But also, he doesn't really make any moves to do it. And that's the only comment he's made like that. So it kind of feels like it wasn't influenced by the serpent necessarily, but that's what Vivacia is taking it as. Because that would be what the serpent would want him to do. Right. Well, Wintrow is intrigued by this discussion, so he kind of abandons what he's doing, goes over to the rail and asks, how do you know what it thinks and wants? And she decides against sheltering him and tells him the truth. He is family, she said simply. At Wintrow's astounded look, she shrugged one bare shoulder at him. That is how it feels to me. I get the same sense of connection, not as strong as you and I have now, but undeniable. That makes no sense. She shrugged at him again and then changed the subject abruptly. You must stop believing that Kenneth is certain to die. So obviously the subject does make her uncomfortable to talk about. She told her truth to Wintro to not shelter him, but doesn't want to dive into that feeling further because... She's in turmoil herself. She doesn't understand it. Yeah. And what's really interesting is how big of a change this is from the first encounter she had with the serpents. Right. Because before she didn't understand the connection with the serpents, she was very afraid and there was a sense of dread and not wanting to explore that connection. And so you can really tell how far the gap is between Wintrow and Vivacia because she has clearly been exploring this since they have disconnected on their bond emotionally. And now she has gathered more information somehow. And we don't get to be privy to that because she doesn't want to share Wintrow how she knows that. I mean, she gives him bare bones of that's what it feels, but it would have always felt like that so how did she just now know that when did she discover this right what did she do like has she been experimenting to see what's going on has she been talking to the serpents i don't know but it's it it just really does i think paint a picture of how far away wintro has come right. from vivacia yeah definitely and so she changes the subject and moves on towards kennet and His thoughts. You must stop believing that Kenneth is certain to die. Why? Are you going to tell me that he is family also and can sense my thoughts? There was an edge of bitterness in his voice. Jealousy? She tried not to be pleased about it, but could not resist prickling him more. Your thoughts? No. He cannot sense your thoughts. It is I that he senses. He reaches toward me and I toward him. We are aware of each other. Tenuously, of course. I have not known him long enough to make it stronger. His blood soaking into my deck seals that bond in a way I cannot explain. Blood is memory. As your thoughts touch mine, so they also influence Kenneth's. I try to keep your fears from intruding on him, but it is an effort. So, before we move on, I do want to just chime in here. Blood is memory, yes, very strong words, and we've kind of touched on that. But mm-hmm. as your thoughts touch mine, so they also influence Kenneth's. This is a bond that isn't touched on a ton after this, I don't think. Right. 
in the later books, but it's something we should keep in mind because they are completely linked together in, yeah. in ways not just kind of feels through like the charm whispering those words and like yeah. an imaginary way, but like an actual way they are bonded. Yeah. And I think more importantly, this is all of Vivacia's doing. She has willed this into being. Right. And I think that's the important part because we have a live ship who is willing to make a bond with someone who is not kin. And even though Paragon is willing to sail for Viva- for Althea, excuse me, and Brashen, he does I don't think he makes a bond with them. I think he does with Brashen. Uh, because Brashen is like his captain afterwards. But I don't know that that means that there's a bond. I think it means that he's willing to sail for them. I, I think there is a bond. I think it explains in his points of view. Hmm. Okay, well, it look takes for them it. a while to develop, and I don't yeah. think Brashen bleeds on Paragon. Right. But this is definitely a, a jump start. Fair, but I don't think it's the blood that's the jump start. I think Vivacia has been mm. reaching for this bond. Okay. I mean, like it definitely helped and it definitely made it stronger. But I think Vivacia is actively working towards making this a viable right. bond in a way that Paragon doesn't. I don't know. Yeah. So Wintro is kind of incredulous and in saying, you're linked to him? Vivacia's a little hurt and it's like, yeah, you asked me to help him. You asked me to lend him strength. Did you think I could do that without bonding? I suppose I didn't think about that aspect of it. Do you sense him now? She finds herself smiling softly. Yeah, I do, and more clearly than I did before. Perhaps that is because he is weakening. I think he no longer has the strength to hold himself separate from me. Your conviction that he will die is like a curse upon him. Somehow you must change your heart. Think only of him living. His body listens deeply to his mind. Lend it your strength. This kind of like rubs me the wrong way because I think it's really rich of Vivacia to be like, well, what did you expect when you asked me to lend him his strength? It's not my (laughs) fault. You asked for this. I think that's very like... I don't know, trying not to take blame of her. It's clearly what she wanted. She definitely was doing more than she needed to to make a bond happen. Oh, definitely. Like I, And then to pin it on Wintro and be like, well, it's your fault you asked me to help. Like, no, you would have found a way to do this anyway. Don't pretend like Wintro should have seen this coming. I don't know. It's just like a weird... I don't like the dynamic. I don't know. She is not a perfect p- creature, I guess. No, definitely not. And that's fine. It just is one of those one of the aspects of her that I do not like. Yeah. And then for her to be all dreamily like, yes, I do feel him much stronger now. Thanks for asking. And after just being like, well, what did you expect? You wanted this. <laughs> like, okay. I don't know. But it's very, the emphasis here is clearly on the mind influencing the body. Yes. And I think that appeal does reach Wintro because he understands that part. Definitely. It says, I will try, but I can scarcely convince myself of something I know is a lie. Wintro, she rebuked him. Very well. And so he sets out to meditate and slowly she can feel him withdraw into himself calling his vision back from that far focus on the horizon until his eyes closed of their own accord. His breathing was deep and even almost peaceful, and in curiosity she reaches towards the bond they shared, trying to read his thoughts and feelings without being intrusive. It did not work. He was instantly aware of her, and yet instead of being resentful of her invasion, he linked willingly with her. And inside him she became aware of the steady flowing of his thoughts. Sa is in all life, all life is in Sa. It is a simple affirmation, and she knows that he chose it because he absolutely believes in that. He no longer was focused on the health of Kenneth's body. Instead, he asserted that while Kenneth lived, the life within him was of Sa and shared Sa's eternity. No end, his words promised her. Life did not end. 
After thought, she found she shared his conviction. No final blackness to fear, no sudden stopping of being. Changes and mutations, yes, but those things went on with every breath. Changes were the essence of life. One should not dread change. And that is the basis of Wintrow's thoughts and feelings and his religion, basically. Yeah. Just like everything is beautiful, everything is life, it's all saw, it's all contained, it's all part of life. Yeah, it kind of feels like then he believes that reincarnation is a thing a little bit, that there's no end to life, that it's they kind a of new do. beginning. Yeah, it, it's just kind of your life force never leaves the universe. But it, it kind of to different things. Yeah, it kind of seems like that's true, though, especially yeah. with dragons. That's how dragons work. Yeah. But I think, too, with the White Prophet and Beloved seeing themselves as a different life in a different lifetime as that prophet and yeah. Fitz also being the catalyst in that time, I feel like maybe there is that real connection of that's really part of their history and their past yeah, that they tapped into. Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't mean anything, but I feel like it potentially is true in this world that there is reincarnation of some kind. Yeah, maybe. I think Wintrow's beliefs are more so of that energy is in the world and it's of Sa's life and he can choose where to put it and you might right. be a blade of grass. <laughs> you know, you might be sure. rain, you right. might be whatever. But yeah, I, that's definitely a possibility. And so Vivacia kind of takes in that mantra, understands that conviction and believes that conviction that Wintrow has and shares that with Kenneth through her bond with him saying that life does go on. Even with the loss, you're not changed. It's not an ending. You're still who you are. While life pulses in you, all possibilities exist. You don't need to fear and you could relax. It was going to be all right. She felt the warmth of his expanding gratitude. The tensed muscles of his face and back eased. Kenneth took a deep breath and let it out slowly. He did not draw another one. And so we end with like a huge cliffhanger. In my mind, dumb cliffhanger. Right. Because like, I think not this next chapter, but the one after, I think he's alive again. So like, Right. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, obviously Kenneth does survive this. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but also you don't get to know that if you're a first time reader for right. another chapter or two. So it is like, yeah, I, I think the first time reading through this, I was wondering. Yeah. Because of the whole previous paragraph of like, life never ends. Even if things happen, you know, we're all beauty and saw. Right. And Vivacia explaining that to Kenneth. And then he doesn't breathe in again. Oh, no. He's like, it's fine to just die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely a weird one. Oh, but it's done. It's over. No more, no more Mr. Nice Leg. Yeah. <laughs> so do we think Fitz is happy? <laughs> uh, he's probably walking on the cursed shore feeling really sick with his wolf right now. <laughs> True. Oh. Oh, no, it's... It's a weird ending. It's a weird cliffhanger and kind of a weird chapter. A little bit. I mean, it definitely needed to happen. You had, you brought up at the beginning, I think maybe the very beginning of the first part mm -hmm. of this episode of this chapter discussion, I guess. So maybe last episode that you were wondering what the bond section was for Brashen. Yes. You have any thoughts on that at all? Or just kind of curious of like didn't see it fitting in? I don't necessarily see it fitting in. Okay. I I guess you could argue that his bond could be about his bonds in Bingtown. Yeah. Um I I think it is that, but it's not the superficial like contacts. I think yeah. it's like who he is as a person. Hmm. And what we were discussing in that previous episode of like Brashen doesn't know who he is 
and is self-destructive and he was a good man he was he had those like ideals and this is how far he's fallen kind of thing interesting so i think like acknowledging his links back to Bingtown brings up those memories. Okay, yeah. And instead of just like living in the moment. So it's more loose. And it, I think it was more so to just intro Brashen again. Definitely. In the book. Sure. But I think that's kind of what it's discussing. Okay, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. If you have any thoughts on Brashen, I guess, or... uh what Wintrow is going through or Vivacia is doing mm-hmm. with her little weird things, please let us know. You can email us directly at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, or on YouTube. Comment on any of our posts. Let us know what you think. Give us any feedback you have. We love hearing from you. Yeah. Can't wait to hear from you guys next week. 